play. Say it again. Desert play. And the time is now past. Say that with me. Time is now past. Send the multitudes away. That was the disciples talking. Now, I don't think they were speaking there out of a hostility. I don't think they were speaking out of bitterness or hate. I think they were speaking out of faithlessness and desperation. It's getting late. We've got no place for these people to stay. God, you need to send them away and let them get to the house. And send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves vigils or provision, food. But Jesus said unto him, they need not depart. I like that. Man says, send them away. God says they don't have to go. And they say unto him, we have here five loaves and two fishes. And he said, bring them to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fishes, looking up to heaven, he blessed, he broke, he gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples to the multitude. He gave the loaves to the disciples, and then he gave the disciples to the multitude. You hear that? You see what it says? The disciples never did nothing. God had to do it all. They were so shocked that he was going to try it. God had to give the disciples to the multitude. I mean, they had to have somebody help them. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. And then he just tacked this on for amazement, not amusement, but amazement. And they that had eaten were about five thousand men besides women and children. Now, why did he tack that on? Because he wanted you to know he was bigger than big, stronger than strong, and greater than great. He didn't want you to think that a multitude was fifteen. He wanted you to know a multitude was a multitude, many. Now look at John chapter 6, and uh, the Bible says something a little bit different, not that there was two different times, not that there's any mistake in the, in the uh, rehashing of the story. Verse 7, uh, Philip answered and said, Two hundred pennies worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them might take a little. That's what Philip said. Two hundred penny worth of bread. Can you look that up and tell me how much that is? You know? How many? Two hundred days wages. That's why I have staff members here to study for me. Two hundred days wages. Now that's a lot of time and a lot of money. That every one of them just might have a bite or take a little, just a smidget. Verse 8, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fish. Here he tells you what kind of loaves you are and how little the fish are. They're making this thing smaller and smaller, and God's getting bigger and bigger. But then he says this, But what are they among so many? They question. And Jesus said, Make the men to sit down. And he says it here. He didn't say it in... The 14th chapter of Matthew, he says, Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks, distributed the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. Or they eat all they wanted. And when they were filled, they gathered the fragments that remained, nothing was lost. I want you to notice it says there was 12 baskets full left over in verse 13. 
of the barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, the prophet, that should come into the world. Father, in Jesus' name tonight, I stand in the one place a man don't ever want to try standing by himself. There's a lot of things I can do alone. A lot of things. A lot of things I can do by myself. But this is not one of them. I stand in desperate need for a God to touch me in a desperate way. Forgive me of anything, Lord, right now that would diminish the power of God in my heart. Not for my sake only, but for the sake of these that hear me. They didn't come over here tonight and iron their clothes and get their children ready and miss their supper and go through everything they did to get over here just to watch me sizzle. I need to see somebody burn up tonight for the glory of God. And I beg you that I would never stand and just have some little morsel or tidbit for a few just to have a little. But I pray tonight, oh God, somebody get something that changes your life. And we'll give you all the, I promise you, you know this before I say it, but I'll say it to you so everybody here, you'll get all the glory. This crowd won't keep none of it. We're not worthy. We're not capable. We're not built right for it. If we for one moment thought we could take the glory or the credit for anything, we'd be foolish at death. Oh, God, touch this crowd tonight, and thank you for every one of them. Bless our children at camp tonight. May many be saved. And may our youth next week go away from here and come back with a greater fervor for God. And we'll give you all thanks and all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to talk to you on this subject. I want to talk to you about a God and tell you about a God who is bigger than our excuses. A God who is bigger than our excuses. If this does not help you tonight, would you humor me because I need to hear it. I'm preaching to me if I'm not preaching to you. I need to hear what this book talks about when it talks about a God bigger than my excuses. In this story here, there is God out there on a hillside ministering uh, north of Jerusalem, about 80 miles in the area of Tiberias on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. I had the privilege to ride on a boat across the Sea of Galilee. We stopped in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. I was with five Baptist preachers, and they called on me, and I preached, standing in a boat, to 37 people. Brother Sammy was with us, and some of the folks, Miss Diane was with me, and uh, I got to stand there on the deck of a ship and look where the man pointed to where Jesus fed the 5,000, the same sea where, Je where Jesus allowed Peter to walk on water, and they allowed me to stand in the middle of that boat and preach on this subject of the feeding of the 5,000, of the miracle. And then they took us over there, and we had fish sandwiches and a drink. We sat down on a hillside, could have very well been the same hillside, where Jesus fed the multitudes, and we sat there, and we went through the story again and rejoiced. God in all of his bigness, God in all of his greatness, is displayed in these two places that I read to you from tonight, but there's also some excuses here. God is bigger than my excuses. I want to give you a couple of three of these excuses they gave. First of all, I want you to look in the Matthew passage, if you will, Matthew chapter 14, 
And I want you to look at verse number 15. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place. Now, is that not an excuse? Hello? This is a desert place. They were making their assessment of the situation with these people's needs. They were making their assessment by the circumstances around them. They said this is a desert or a deserted or a dry or a barren place. Ladies and gentlemen, he goes on over in the sixth chapter of the book of John, verse number 19, and says there was much grass there. How can you have much grass there and have a desert place? It was an excuse that they could use in their own heart to deal with the situation concerning their surroundings. Hello? I want to tell you something. Where you are may look desert. Where you are may look deserted. But I want to tell you something. The excuse is this. Write it down somewhere. The ministry is too lifeless. The ministry is too lifeless. Or the men, the place, the whole picture, the whole situation is too lifeless. Isn't that what they were saying? They were saying this is a desert place. This is a deserted place. God, we got all these people around here. They're hungry. We got all these people around here. They have nowhere to sleep. They're in a desert place. I want to tell you something tonight. Though the devil might come around and tell you that you'll never have a place that'll do anything, you'll never be anything where you are, he'll come around to you to that Sunday school class to where those members are missing with regularity, and he'll say to you about your Sunday school class, this is a desert class. This is a desolate class. Why don't that preacher give me a good class? Why don't I have more people than I have? It's lifeless in here. May I say something to you? No place that you go has to be lifeless if you are alive. Hello? Are you listening to me tonight? Am I telling it right? Lifelessness usually produces lifelessness. I have within my bosom tonight the personality of God. I have living within me tonight the blessed Holy Ghost. I do not need a Pentecost. I've already been in the effects of the only Pentecost I'm ever going to have. I don't need heaven to come down in glory to fill my soul. I don't need to see the pearly gates to know that provision is possible. I want to tell you, blessed be God, I have God living in me. I have the Holy Ghost dwelling in me. I have the best that heaven had to offer. I have the presence of God's Holy Spirit. And God's Holy Spirit gives me life. And wherever God puts me, God expects me to live lively because I have the life of God in my life. I want to tell you something. Where there's much grass, it is not desolate. Where there is much grass, it is not desert. I know some of us sit around and we look at our situation and our circumstance and we wonder what in the world am I going to do with my situation. I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to take life to it. You college students, you let me tell you something. When you get out of here, God may call on you to do something as far as where you're going to end up. 
God may call on you to pray. God forbid that it come down to you doing anything. But you may be asked by the Holy Spirit to pray. You may be asked by the Holy Spirit to fast. You may be asked by the Holy Spirit to go to some small, minute, out-of-the-way place. But I want to tell you, hallelujah, every place is a good place when it's God's place. It doesn't matter where God puts you. It doesn't matter what God does with you while you're there. It's not desolate unless you see it desolate. It's not desert unless you see it desert. It is not barren unless you see it barren. Hey, if God puts you, I said, I said, I said, if God puts you there, God knows what he's doing. God put enough in you to do what he called you to do there, and God will help you. I don't want to go to Greenwood. I want to go to New York City. I don't want to go to Abbeville. I want to go to a metropolis. I want to go to a metropolitan area where I can have great impact and a greater ministry. God may let you settle down in the suburb. God may let you settle down in the city. God may put you in an inner city mission. God may put you with millions of people. God may surround you with thousands of people. And God may put you in a community where there's just a few people. But if God puts you there, hey, sit down where the grass is. God will do what God said. It was only desolate because they were desolate in their vision, in their outlook, and in their mentality. They had the presence of Jesus, God the Father's Son, sitting with them. They had seen miracle after miracle, dead raised, ears open, eyes given vision again, lame limbs work. Why in the world would it bother him to work up a few fish sandwiches? We have no less than they have. Matter of fact, I have it more convenient than they have. They had him outside talking to their physical man. They had him outside speaking to their fears and inferiority. I have him inside my comforter. I have him living in my bosom as my power. I have the Holy Ghost like Simon Peter never knew it. I have the Holy in that particular context. I have the Holy Ghost like Andrew did not have him. Andrew could see Jesus. Andrew could visualize the power of God. But I have the power of God coming out of my mouth and out of my life and out of my soul right now. Preaching the gospel. I thank God and praise the Lord tonight for his goodness. Can I get a witness right there? I was in the state of Iowa. Anywhere you go in Iowa and look for a fundamental church, you better be good at it. You better, you better, be, you better know where you're going. I flew into Des Moines, Iowa got in an automobile and drove for what I thought was a half a day down into the cornfields of Central Iowa, down to a little place called, we got to the city limit sign of Washington, Iowa. You say, I don't know where that is. God barely does. Cornfields and, and houses. You could ride for two miles and never see a mailbox, three or four miles and never see a farmhouse. Nothing but acreage plowed up on top of acreage plowed up on top of acreage plowed up. There was a boy from the state of North Carolina living in Winston-Salem. He bears my, my own name. His name is Larry Brown. His wife's name is Diane. He and I are the same age in the same year. Uh, at one time, we had three children that were all born in the same month. It was eerie of how much likeness. I've known him for almost 15, 16 years. We preached together in meetings here and yonder uh, in the country. I was out there to preach in a Bible conference for him. 
I mean, the population of the place was 5,800. That was the county, not the city of Washington. We got to the motel, and I thought to myself, I will be preaching to stalks and shucks. There will be, I have flown out here to look at a, at a, at a, a, probably just a small group of people. They came to pick me up at a, at a motel that was far, far that, hey, there was no Walmart there. You know that they had no people. I stand at a motel, and it was one of those individually family-run. The woman who owned it cleaned all the rooms, all four of them. I stayed in one of them. I asked if there was a telephone. She looked at me funny. I said, never mind. Doesn't matter. And so I, that evening, Brother Brown came by and picked me up. He took me down to a little town square in the city. And he started this way. He went to this town of 58, 5900. That was when I went. It had grown. He had been there 15 years. He started off with he, his wife, and three children. That night they took me to the house of God, and I went into his office, and just an old Lutheran church that had went under, and like most of them do out in that part of the country, and he had taken the Word of God, laid it on the pulpit, and had an inscribed place on, here, on the pulpit to preach the Word. And he just started preaching the gospel. And 10 came, and 15 came, and 25 came. That meeting on Monday night, I said on Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night, and there never was less than 800 in a second. Did you know that in the little town of Lynchburg, Virginia, 78% of the entire population goes to Jerry Falwell's in his, in his hometown of Lynchburg. Lynchburg is just a little spot on the map. And it, it, I saw a thing that they were said 78% of all the, not, not Baptists, all the people that go to church in that town go to the Thomas Road Baptist Church. Because it hadn't always been that way. What are you saying, preacher? They just didn't see it desperate. They said, Lord, where do you want me? God dropped him in a cornfield. He said, are you sure you got your directions right? I'll do whatever you want me to, but I'd like to know you're in it. He's been there 20 years. Just celebrated his 20th anniversary. They had 1,300 plus in their anniversary service. I was on the phone with him the other night. Praise God. Listen to me. Listen to me. The, somebody would say, the ministry is too lifeless. This is a desert place. Here's the second excuse. The moment is too late. The moment is too late. Look at what it said in verse number 15. He said this. This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Lord, we know what you can do, but this place is desert. Is, it, is, is he talking about your Sunday school class? Is he talking about your bus route? Is he talking about that place where you are, where you're comparing yourself with everybody else and not with the will of God? Then he says, not only is the ministry too lifeless, he says the moment is too late. It says, and the time is now past. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying some folks want to make excuses about the times. There's some say you can't build a church today that'll do anything for God. The generation, I have some of the best preacher friends I've got. 
who tell me you're beating your brains out running across this country speaking. You're killing yourself. You are wearing yourself out for nothing because we're living in the Laodicean era where revival is impossible. I want to tell you, if I thought that, I'd get out of the ministry, get me an honest job, and go to the house and put on overalls and dig ditches for a living before I'd be so dishonest that I got up and preach on faith and preach on God's power and preach on God's ability and then turn around and say, such a stupid thing. Hey, God is bigger than your desolate place. God may drop you in Sicily. God may drop you on the mission field somewhere in a remote area, and you say, my dear God, what will I do here? I'll tell you what you'll do here. You'll take the book that calls you. You'll take the message that saves you. Bless God, you'll throw it on the pulpit and preach the Word. And watch God bring us. It may be in a little church in Gibson. It may be an out-of-way place. It may be a desert place. It might be a desolate place. You might not have the great numbers. You might not have the great crowd. You may not have the great membership. But I want to tell you, you've got a great God and a great Savior and a great King that calls you that. I want to tell you something. The time is not too late. Those disciples said, look, we're in a, we're in a ministry that is just absolutely too lifeless. This place is lifeless. Not only that, we're in a day and an hour where it's too late. Pop, I will tell you something. Colonel Sanders was 63 or 4 when he tried his first picture. He had two other businesses besides that one that made as much, one of them made as much as the chicken place did, and he sold it before he died for more money than he could spend in two lifetimes. And they said when the old man croaked, he had something on the drawing board. J.C. Penney was the same way. Colonel Sanders didn't even get started till he had white hair and a goatee. So don't sit tonight, my brother, and think there's nothing left for me to do. All these young people, all these young folks can do it, and all these, these young folks are tied up with way too much baggage to do much. It's going to take some white hair and some silver hair. It's going to take some of those that haven't had a genuine experience with God. I mean, they got in with no question. They're glad they're in. They want to get others in. They're looking to just go on with God until it comes back in the eastern sky, splits it like a ripe watermelon, and takes them out of here. Glory to God. The day is too late. We can't have revival. I'm going to ask you to do something for me. If you really believe that and honestly believe that, and that's going to continue to be your philosophy, I want to ask you to do something for me. I want, you, I want to ask you to pray that you'll catch the Spirit of Jesus Christ because that is not the Spirit of God. I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to put yourself in this altar tonight and ask God if your attitude needs changing, if your uh, mentality needs to be rearranged, and if your thought process needs some divine intervention, you'll let God do it tonight because I'm going to tell you something. Until God lays me this away or takes me that away, I'm still going to believe that revival can come I'm still believing God can do something. I'm still believing this Bible college is going to go on. I'm still believing people are going to preach. I ain't about to quit. I ain't about to stop. I ain't about to lay down. Give him praise tonight if you're glad of that. The ministry is too lifeless. 
where God's put me is a desert. It ain't feeling good. He didn't put you there to change. He put you there as a testimony. The day's too late anyway. What are we going to do? <laughs> you fellas in school can identify with this. When I was a sophomore in college, I guess it would have been 1969, or early 70s. I was in my second year in college. I'd be in the chapel services, and I, I'd hear somebody come through. The, somebody had come through that pushing, and I'd say, Lord, I ought to be out there doing it. And there ain't no way in the world I would have sat here for my first four years and listen to people teach me that don't know their hat from their shoes. And, and I did. I had a man teaching me personal evangelism. Never won a soul I know of in his life. Man taught me preaching, never passed through the church. They could get books and give you all kinds of learning and knowledge. There wasn't one personal illustration in the whole class. The school was not church-oriented. That's why y'all thank God you can go to school somewhere where somebody has a church orientation. Jesus didn't die for the college. He died for the church. And whatever comes out of anything for God's glory, it better come out the front door of a local church. Hello. And Bible studies and them little coffee cake meetings and all them prayer services and all them tabernacle and Christian life centers and all the rest of it. Listen to me. Listen real good. If it's got a pastor and it's got a Bible and God Almighty is blessing it, it's coming out the front door of a local church. I'd sit there and I'd say, Lord, ain't no way in the world that I ought to stay in this place and keep soaking this up. I ought to get up and go. You're coming. You're going to come back. And I ought to be out there doing it. How many of y'all ever felt like that? Amen. Most all of I ought to be out there doing it, man. The time's late. Oh, no, listen to me. Sometimes that's an excuse for not becoming something. And tell every one of you something. You're never wrong learning. No matter where you're learning, you're never wrong learning because if you keep learning, you'll die burning. You keep learning. You, keep lear you, you stay in an environment where you can stay plugged into some high voltage. And then when God wants to use you, that door will swing open and he'll boot you with a number 20 right out the front. But don't you start running in ten and a half. The time is too late. I heard it. And that time's not too late if we'll do any and everything we can to reach to. My hat's off. Congratulations to our Go Club community. Thank God for people who want to learn how to win souls. I'm rejoicing over it. Thanking God. And we're going we're gonna to go into that. When we turn this pulpit around and knock that wall out and build it on from this size over there, and we have this thing 220 foot long that way and 100 foot wide, there's going to be people all over it that have been won. Hey, hey, one at a time. Are you listening? Time is late, but not too late. Uh, if you do whatever, here's an illustration. If you do whatever you can to win them. I was reading a little periodical today, and this story came across. His name is Bob. Bob goes to a university that is located across the street from a little Baptist church. Little Baptist church, very sophisticated, very uptownish, very highbrow, suit and tie, dress and all accessories. Bob wears no shoes, tore up blue jeans with the knees out, an old shirt and a sweatshirt or a T-shirt that God only knows what it's got rolling. One day, he's very brilliant, has a mind like a, I mean like a trap, and he's quick. This church had been wanting to reach 
this college. They didn't know how to get it started. They didn't know what to do. Very highbrow, sophisticated. One day Bob comes in barefooted, tore up blue jeans, old hair hadn't been cut. Got on a pair of them little funky 70s glasses. He comes waddling barefooted down the aisle looking for a seat, can't find one, and Indian squats right dead in the middle of the hall. These people are, you can hear them breathing. Not gasping yet, but on their way. Breathing heavily. Well, they didn't know who was going to do what. I mean, the mood in the whole place was climbing up quick. An old man, 81, in the back, got up. He was an old deacon. And everybody said, son, if somebody's going to do something, he'll go down and do what he has to do. He's going to have to remove them. He goes down the aisle with a walking stick, and all you can hear is the end of that stick hitting on the floor. And it's taking him a while, but he's getting down there. He then grabbed the boy by the hand. He leans his stick up against the front row. He sat And then he, then, <laughs> and then the preacher said this, and I quote. He said, what I preached today, you'll forget. But what you just seen, you'll never get up. That boy came into the church through the witness of that old man and the college minister saw It's not too late. I want to tell you something about these. I want to tell you about these dungaree wearing, earring wearing, long hair, hippie five. I'm talking about classical sinners got their toenails growed out two inches and no shoes on. I want to tell you about it. It's not too late for a loving God to reach down his hand for them and save them by the grace of God. I don't care what they look like. God can change. Not too late. That was an excuse, but God's bigger than and for you who would say, why are we building that church? Why are we going into all this fundraising? Why are we talking about growing? Why? Don't you know we're living in the last days? That's why we're building it. You answered your own question. We're going to do everything we can to reach everybody for His glory. Amen? And I know that's what you want to see happen. Number three, not only is the ministry too lifeless and the moment too late, but the money is too limited. The money's too limited. What did he say in John 6 and 7? Uh, Philip said this. He said, Lord, 200 penny worth of bread, of, of money. 200 penny worth. What is he saying? There ain't enough money to do what we want to do. <laughs> 200 penny worth of bread would not even provide them a meal if they just Took a little. Praise God, I come to announce that hey, I hope hell's got the front door open. And I hope that I hope the reverb and the soundboard is working real good when I say this. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and everything on it belongs to God, and there's nothing too hard for you folks in Greenwood. I want, I want to tell you something. There's more money in God's fault life than there is in Greenwood. And I want to tell you, if God wants to start raining $20 bills down on the street, he can't. If he wants to start growing them on oak trees instead of oak leaves, he can't. If he wants to start growing them on grapevines instead of grapes, he can't. If God wants a church, 
where you are, I'll guarantee you, there ain't nobody here out of hell can stop it if you want it to happen. There's not enough money. Every time I turn around on my little plans, and every time I turn around on the regulations and the red tape, and every time I turn around, <laughs> I'm hearing another figure, and they're talking about it going up. The architect said, this is going to be more than what you thought. And he draws it, and the, and the building code says, you're not going to be able to do that. You're going to have to put in a $60,000 sprinkler system. I'm sitting there saying, well, God started it. God will finish it. Blessed be God. If you'll just give me a building permit, shut up and get out of the way. I'll show you what God can do. The only thing stopping God, sometimes is his children won't believe it. Ain't enough money. I want to tell you, ain't enough money to stop us. There ain't enough money to make us quit. There ain't enough money nowhere that can beat what God's done for us. Give him praise and glory right there tonight. Years ago when we was over in this building, Brother Shelton, I think I'm telling this right. Over here when we moved, we was two years building this one. So you folks who have, had, have been waiting since February to see this one continue, we waited two years for that one. We built it piece by piece. Every dime of it was paid when we walked in. Every piece of it. And I want to tell you something. The same God who done that. You say, but there's a whole lot more to this. And there's a whole lot more to him than we've ever found out. He can drop enough change out of his pocket onto his way to the ice cream parlor. To pay for anything you've got. We built that building over there, and I ain't got a whole lot of sense. We was putting the carpet in. Remember this, Steve, and we didn't have no organ. Remember we had a little old bitty thing that was in somebody's house cost $99.95 at Kmart. It was a little old organ. That, I mean, it was one of them house organs. It was good for that auditorium over there. But Steve said, Preacher, what are we going to do when we put that in that big old place over there? I said, You mean I got to buy an organ? He said, That'll steal one. I said, we ain't got no money, man. We're just barely breaking even now. He said, well, it was $6,500 that paid for that organ, and the old man came and put all those pictures in and all for us. And Steve went with me. We went over there on Washington Road to that thing that looked like a circus. And we went in there and found an organ in there that a guy had. He had taken out of the latest house on what with a nice one. And he, he said, I can install it for $6,500. I said, that might well be $6.5 million. Never will forget, I got on a plane and flew somewhere to preach the next Monday. And uh, I didn't know what we was going to do, man. We are fixing to dedicate the building in a week and a half. And Harry, I called, and Harry called me, got in touch for me to call him, and said, we got a problem with the budget. And I said, this ain't nothing I need on this plane, or on this trip. So I called back home, and I said, what's the deal, Carol? She said, Brother Shelton needs to talk to you. I said, what is it? He said, well, he needs to talk to you about it. I said, oh, my goodness, he's got his wife and run off with all the money. They're going to Australia. It ain't going to take me. I don't mind you running off here, but for God's sake, take me. They'll believe that I left him for help. And he called me and said, preacher, I made a mistake with the figures. I said, what kind of mistake? Harry, we're all going to prison. He said, I... There was some money given that I got mixed up in the general account and didn't put it in the building for honey. He said, how much was it? It was right at within two or three hundred dollars of what that organ cost. 
he had he had mixed up the building fund money with the church money, and when they got to doing counting the church money, they found out it was in there, and he said it was sixty-three or sixty-four hundred dollars. He said that I made a mistake on. I said, "You talking about to the good?" <laughs> he said, "Yeah." What do you think I was talking about? I said nothing, nothing, no. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah! I'll be home. We got us an organ, boys. We got us an organ. <laughs> All the way back home, the Lord said, "Oh, ye of little." <laughs> God can take your mishap. God can take your, your best efforts, and he can fix them where they become your greatest effort. We went over there and paid that old man cash. I'm bad with cash in my hand. Bad. I mean, I'm just bad when I got cash in my hand. I go in there and start wanting to throw them $100 down. I need my organ, my man, now. Take your dust and give me the music. I want to say something to you, church. The money is not too limited as long as God is bigger than our excuses. Number, let's write this one down. The menu is too little. The menu, look at these excuses. The menu is too little. In John 9, uh, 6 and 9, he says, all we have is five loaves of barley bread and two little or small fishes. Isn't that what he said? Now listen to this. Barley bread is just a cut, a cut above no bread. Barley is the cheapest thing in the world you could make bread out of. That was not wheat bread. He said barley bread. And he said little fishes. In other words, that would be like bread that was of the cheapest variety and, uh, and two sardines. Little old fishes. Now, a boy ain't going to need no five-pound bass filet out in front of him. He ain't going to eat it all. So his mama sent him with something equal to his appetite. Two little fishes. And, and them little loaves was about that long, little old pieces of bread, and they were barley loaves. Why did he say barley and little? Because he said, I can take the nastiest things. I can take the most untasteful things. I can make the smallest thing. I can take what nobody else wants. I can take that which is not desirable, and I can feed a world with it, if you'll just bring it to me. Are you living on barley? Are you eating on little? I want to tell you something. There's a God bigger than your excuses. And he can take your nothing and make much out of it. Are you listening? Oh, he sure can. I like that little statement, don't you, Brother Jerry? It says, little is much. Say it with me. When God is in. Here's the last one. What was the first one? The ministry is too lifeless. The moment is too late. The money is too little. The menu is or too the money is too limited. The menu is too little. And the multitude is too long. Says this. What is that among so many? I'll tell you something. The multitude is never too large when when you see the God of the multitude bigger. I want to tell you, I'm done, I'm finished, I want to tell you this. This church is not going to win them a few at a time. We're going to win them one at a time. We're not going to win them a church full of time. I have dedicated the rest of my life to one at a time. Just one at a time. Now, God let you see the opportunity last night to see three saved. That's a blessing. Sometimes you're going to won't see none. You've got to keep going. 
Sometimes I preach and nobody gets baptized, but I come back again and preach and hope somebody will because God is bigger than that excuse. Well, he didn't do nothing. I think I'll just quit. And when you quit, where are you going? When you give up, what are you going back to? Are you listening? Are you listening? We're going to win them one at a time. It's not what we do. It is what God has done that gives us power. It is not in our abilities that we do for God. It is God in you, the hope of glory. And it's Christ living in your life that will make the difference. It's the cross. It's the Christ of it. And if we'll follow him, he'll make us sick as men. And we win them. I look out at this world and I hear the population. I hear the billions. I hear the staggering numbers. And you know what the devil will slide up to me and say? What in the world are you doing that for? You can't win them all. You can't do nothing. There's too many of them. They're being born, they're being born faster than you can reach them, and there ain't no way in the world. No, I can't. I'm going to tell you something. No, I can't reach them all, but I can reach those around me, and I can get them one because of the power of the cross. Let me tell you this. <clears throat> I was involved in a situation this week where this testimony came forth from a girl. She was from Mountain Park Christian School in the suburbs of Kansas City, Missouri. She was senior in high school this year. Two years, this girl had been in, 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 in this high school one year. It was a girl's home, and she was graduating late. She came into that girl's home for help and for, for re refreshment and to help her life, and she graduated through this school program. At the high school graduation service last Friday, they called this girl up and they gave her a certificate from memory. She memorized the book of James, the whole book. She sat for almost four and a half hours one day and quoted it and never missed it. They said she could tell you where to come she sat down. Others came up to get theirs, and in a few minutes they called her name again, and she came up and stood. She got a certificate for memorizing the book of Psalms. She messed up one time in chapter 2 and had to start over and never miss a lick. Memorize the book of Psalms. Others got their memory verses, the sections of Scripture. She was called back to the platform and she memorized the book of Proverbs. Three books of the Bible, and you, I'm going to tell you something, you jump on Proverbs and you got yourself a ride. conversation changes every other day. I can't follow it, and half the time, reading it, much less memorize. And she stood there with her three plaques and her three books. That was in her senior year. It took them three days almost to sit down and hear this girl's memory verses for her senior presentation. Lovely, gorgeous little old girl. Then they told the story how she got there. Two years before that, she was in a crack house with a crackhead son who had sold her body for 18 months. She was strung out on heroin so bad that they didn't know if she'd ever recover. 
she got on, she got to taking crank and ice. Cocaine. She got the free bacon. She got into it heavy. She couldn't go she couldn't go two hours without a hit. It got so bad that she was close to overdosing several times. And then when she didn't do and couldn't do what she wanted to, she'd beat her and then a boogie. She was 20 years old when she was put into a mental facility for people who had mental handicap and mental disabilities. She laid in a bed and saw snakes on the wall and started crawling up the cover and concealed there following. She was strapped with cotton straps on both sides of the bed and both sides of the ankle. She was screamed and sweat scream and sweat. That's where a good time takes. If that's a good time, you cripple too high for a crook. She said she laid in a bed and she finally, after a week, gained her ability to know what was around her. That's where a pimple is. She's not there to help her. She's not there to feed her. She's not there to encourage her. He said that on the top of the pinnacle of the furniture, there was a cross. He said she, she said she would look out that window, atheist in her heart, agnostic in her soul. She said she would look out that window, and she would see that cross and turn away because her agnosticism wouldn't let her believe. She said that in my condition, she said my eyes took no more. To the cross. She said for a week and a half, she said at night, it would be the only thing with her. In the day, the only thing that would attract my, my, my attention. She said about a week and a half went by. She said one day I looked at her and she said, God, if you're there, if you're real, if you can help she said her head went back. And she said every waking hour after that, she began to feel the peace and the warmth and the joy. She said a heavenly vision and a heavenly personality would begin to come and minister to She said I never seen nothing. She said I didn't have to. She said, you just do. She said, you just know, don't you? <laughs> you just know when she comes. And she said, I told him I would be whatever he wanted me to be. She said, no. she said all of a sudden, the step came off my arm. And I didn't have to fight for my life. She said, my ankles were unbound. And I was calm as a chicken. She said, my mother and daddy started coming to see me. They started seeing that the doctor said, I don't know what's happened to her, but she don't need to be here. She was taken home, burned up in her mind, desperate in her soul. And the brother who don't run that school, they found out about it and they called and said, can you help her? She needs to go back to school. They said, you bring her out here, we'll take her. 
He said the only thing that made any sense was not a page, was not an English book, was not math. She said the only thing she could decipher and remember, and she said still to this day, I can read a magazine and can't tell you what it says, but she said I can look at the Bible and never forget. One at a time, because of the cross. Let's pray, Father. I thank you and praise you and give you glory. But let me hear that story. But let me see that testimony. I want to thank you and bless you and praise you for what you're doing in this service tonight. There are many in this meeting this evening that certainly have had the devil telling God has lost his power. Some of the things that God's asked us to do, the devil will tell us he's lost his power. There's no way that you can do that. But, Lord, we recognize that is nothing but a feeble excuse. I ask you tonight to touch our people and help them. Every eye is closed and every head is bound, except for those that are getting up out of their feet getting honest with God, saying, I've been making excuses for long enough, and I can't say God. I'm going to get up and come down that altar. Yes, that kid all over the building, popping up like corn. Come on, all over the building, popping up everywhere. I'm going to come. It's not too late. It's not too little. It's not too lifeless. It's not too limited. It's not too large. Would you come? The vast majority of people that have never heard the gospel deserve to hear it. Let's take it to them. The vast majority of the people who've heard it, who've never been saved, let's give it to them so they will be saved. Let's pray the Holy Spirit one at a time will use us in the vineyard of God to do the work of the Lord. Would you come? Would you come? Please place.